Has anyone else had an existential moment when they clean out their basement or shed? Like, what did I do? What am I doing with my life? Why do I have so much stuff? Kevin? Yeah? yeah amen? How can I simplify? Do we really need this? Where did this come from? Oh my goodness. Help me, Lord. Any other thoughts? Anyone else have these? I cleaned out my shed this week and I found myself questioning some of my life decisions. And I think, I, good word, it's a good word, it's a good word. I think what I was getting at, what I was experiencing, my heart was saying, there's got to be a better way. How can I simplify my life? How can we minimize? And I think that gets to a deeper question, not just about our stuff in our sheds or in our closets, but how do I make time and space for the things that really matter? People, stuff, experiences, all of this, anyone else, we can feel the rub of this. Our lives often feel so complex. But this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He says this, God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. So that's all I've got to say today. Is It's on you guys and Noah. <laughs> But I would say, I would, want, I would imagine most of us probably in some way, shape, or form long for a simpler life. Uh, St. Francis de Sales says this, In everything, love simplicity. I'm like, yes, amen. I want that so much. And the good news for us here, guys, this morning, those of us who are giving our lives to become disciples of Jesus, is that this life is a life of learning to embrace a singular vision in every aspect of our lives. So that's simple. If, they have, if we have a singular vision, that simplifies things, correct? Or another way of putting this, this is a, a title of a book by Soren Kierkegaard. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Psalm 27 verse 4, David puts it this way. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his holy temple. Jesus' vision, my friends, for our lives in his kingdom is one of simplicity and not duplicity. And how do we learn to allow this inward reality to, to flow out into our outward lifestyle? Francois Fenelon puts it this way, When we are truly in this interior simplicity, our whole appearance is franker, more natural. This is true simplicity. It makes us conscious of a certain openness, gentleness, innocence, gaiety, and serenity, which is charming when we see it near to and continually with pure eyes. Oh, how amiable this simplicity is. Who will give it to me? I have all for this. It is the pearl of the gospel. This is our heart's desire today. This is what we're going to be thinking about and, and processing through. Because the reality is the gospel of the kingdom, our lives as disciples of Jesus, has a practical outworking in our everyday ordinary lives. It has to get to the point where it affects our view of stuff and even how we view money. It got quieter. Have you guys seen that commercial? I was watching a basketball game the other day. The Scotiabank's uh, catchphrase is, you're richer than you think. Did you know that's true of you? You're actually both figuratively and literally more wealthy and, and, than you realize. We as North Americans are in the top percentile in terms of a global economy. We have way more money than the vast majority of the rest of the world. I won't bore you with all of the stats, but it's true. Our closets and garages and sheds are bursting and overflowing with stuff and stuff and more stuff. We as a society have so much stuff that we spend money to store our extra stuff 
in storage units. There's like three in Alliston alone. We buy plastic storage bins to store our stuff. Those aren't cheap. They're like 20 bucks for these plastic storage bins. Stuff, 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 more, more, more. When I asked um, John Rockefeller, one of the world's richest men at the time, how much money is enough? He said this, just a little bit more. That's what I feel like our world is telling us all the time. You know why you're not happy? It's because you don't have that thing. You know what would make you feel fulfilled if you, if you visit BC? <laughs> that, that whole thing, come visit BC, your life will become incredible. It's not that cool, I've been. Um, Mark Twain has a way of just summarizing things. He says it this way, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. I don't need this thing, but I feel like I need this thing. And that's just how our whole world is set up. We swim in a culture that spent over $1 trillion in advertising last year. That's insane. That could solve the issue of world hunger right then and there and then some. And all of these advertisements are working so that our desires, this is their main goal. How do we get it so that people's desires begin to overshadow their needs? That's all they're trying to do. And this is a brilliant strategy because it gets at some of our core drivers that we have as human beings. Things like belonging, security, freedom, significance, and meaning. All these things matter, and they matter to God. But where we find these things is the issue. Because things aren't just things anymore. They're identities. That's what, we have, that's what we're living into and realizing as a, as a culture. And we now get our meaning in life from what we consume. So essentially, in a nutshell, the lie we are fed from morning to night is something like this. The more money I have, the more stuff I can buy, and the more happy I will be. But what if, in fact, the notorious B.I.G. was correct when he said this, mo' money, mo' problems. Or more stuff, I need more room. Or more anxiety, I have more unhealthy uh, attachments to things. There's more striving. There's more stuff to organize. More time to organize. And more lines to drain. And more insurance to cover. And more headaches. And on and on the list could go. This is the thing that we're always up against, that we have to come to grips with. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't, but we're so often trying to do this. Richard Foster says it this way. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society, listen to this, is psychotic. It is psychotic because it, because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We think things will bring us to this place of feeling like we will finally fit in. We'll be safe. We can do what we want to do. There's some type of freedom. We matter and our lives have purpose. But those things Jesus talks about, they just break. They get stolen. They get lost. Anyone who has ever owned a new vehicle knows that eventually that new car smell goes away. And in our case, it's, re it's replaced with un unconscionable smells. <laughs> Your new phone that is so glimmery and shiny, anyone ever dropped their iPhone and seen it crack? Oh my gosh, it's like terrifying. These things do not fulfill us. These things will not deliver the promise that they are speaking. But here's the thing. We are built with eternity in our hearts. We're, we're, we're meant to experience life that is truly life. One where we do belong, one where we are secure, one where we do experience freedom, where we do discover our significance and find a real purpose. That is all true. But where we go to find it is the question that Jesus is getting at in this text. Where can we find the life that is truly life? 
This is what advertisements are telling us. Hey, life that is truly life is found in BC or when you buy this Dyson vacuum or whatever the thing might be. But Paul, in his letter to his young protege, Timothy, he says this. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. He's riffing on Jesus' words that we're going to talk about today. We here at Anchor Point are learning that Jesus is out to answer the question for us. What does it look like to lay hold of the life that is truly life? And he is laying out for us as his followers a description of a life that is truly life in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's addressing not only the issues that are on the surface level, but the issues that are buried beneath the surface things that we have, like with our desire for gadgets and vacation homes and shoes and to be well-respected by important people and the list could go on. He is offering to renovate our hearts, one layer, one issue at a time. Jesus Christ, the God-man full of grace and truth, is out to show us the life that is really life. A life that, in, in Jesus' words, in John's gospel, he sums up like this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is a stark contrast to the, the, the story that the world is telling us. And Jesus, again, speaks into that, that pressure of more, more, more. Acquire, 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 get, get, get. He says this in Luke 12, verse 15. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So empty out your sheds, empty out your basements. But the point is this. He gives us a much grander vision for life as human beings on this earth. That we can know and trust the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. That we're brought into the story of God and his mission to reunite heaven and earth. Okay, so with that being said, let's pray. And then we'll look at this text together this morning. Come Holy Spirit, would you help me to speak the truth today in love? Would you help us become a community, a group of people who want to actually live this out, God? and who actually begin to live this out. Because I think our hearts are there. We want to do this, Lord, but would you, by your grace, show us how to live a simple life day by day. And so, Lord, this morning, as we hear these words that you spoke thousands of years ago, would they ring true and fresh in our hearts this morning? And uh, would we leave here transformed and changed and more just in love with you and your vision of the good life? In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'll read verses 19 to 21. Jesus says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Here it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is ending this statement with just a statement of fact. This is the way that things actually work. It isn't a command like, hey, like, it's like, hey, this is where, where your heart is. That's where, where your treasure is. That is where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is not a suggestion or an idea. This is a fact that Jesus is stating. Has anyone in this room ever felt disconnected from their heart? few of us. 
feeling disintegrated, confused, unfulfilled, angry, the list could go on. Could it be that the reason we feel this way is we've been working away, working away from God's vision for our lives and towards a futile and fruitless end? What if we've been toiling away to store up treasures here in the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of self instead of the kingdom of God? And Jesus is speaking of anywhere we put our resources, our time, our energy, and our money. Anyone else's sense of anxiety go up when your bank account goes down? Your sense of joy goes up when your tax return hits the bank account? And just me? Well, yeah, or what? Sorry. And I'm not trying to brag that we got a tax return. <laughs> Anyways, a large amount of money comes to you. Um, what do we... What? What are the things that keep you up at night? What do you stay up at night worrying about? Your reputation at work, your RRSPs. Can we actually get that extra thing that we want? On and on the list could go. All of these things are real and tangible and apply to our lives. What Jesus is calling us back to is to focus on the things that really matter. And the more we look at this scripture, the more that we understand what Jesus is about, it all comes back to this idea about relationship with him and with other people. And so often these things take up our mind and our energy and our effort so much so that we aren't able to focus on the things that actually matter. God and his kingdom and his people, our neighbors. The truth is that new jacket will actually go out of style. It won't look cool in a couple years. Your motorcycle will break down. That new laptop will eventually slow down and won't work and it will be like a, you know, underneath a flower pot in your basement at some point. And that promotion that you're desperate to get it's going to come with its own headaches. Jesus is living out and reminding us of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we need to invest our heart and soul and mind, our efforts into. This is what it looks like to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A simple statement, a memorable statement. Let's read on verse 22 and verse 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will keep full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is kind of a confusing statement. What is Jesus talking about with eyes? Um, this is a first century idiom that has a double meaning. And so I'm just going to read this really quickly. What a healthy eye meant in that time is this, that you were focused and living with a high level of intentionality. You had vision for your life. And with that, you were someone who was regularly and consistently generous to those in need. You moved through the world at such a pace that when you looked out at the world, you saw those in need and you did your best to help out. So you were, you had, you were aware of other people, not just of yourself. And what an unhealthy eye meant at the time is this, stumbling around without vision or focus, just try, chasing after the wind. You were actually closed-fisted to the poor. And you moved through the world. Um, as you moved through the world, you were distracted by all that glitters and all these baubles that got your attention. And you lost your focus on what really mattered. And in doing so, you forgot those in need. So what Jesus is saying here, if, as he's inviting us into a life of simplicity, how do you order your lives in such a way that you don't forget the poor? Where you make generosity a priority and not an afterthought. Let me read an illustration of, uh, that uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uses in his sermon on this text. 
Um, the story, this story is as old as the actual truth, which perfectly illustrates what we are saying. It is the story of a farmer who one day went happily and with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. And he said, you know, I have suddenly had a feeling and impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We will bring them up together, and when the time comes, we will sell one and keep the proceeds, and we will sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. His wife asked him, which, he was going, which one are you going to dedicate to the Lord? Eh, there's no need to bother about that now, he replied. We will treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we will do as I say. And off he went, and in a few months, the man entered the kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. When his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. But what, what? You had not decided which one was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yeah, I did. I had always decided it was going to be the white one. And it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. We may laugh at this story, but God forbid that we should be laughing at ourselves. It is always the Lord's calf that dies. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize is our contribution to God's work. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm just reading it. Don't. Simplicity, my friends, requires us to slow down, to live intentionally and in such a way that our eyes are open so that we can live generously. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. The last chunk of scripture here, verses, verse 24, Jesus gets really direct. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And some of the translations have this word mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, he's blowing up this idea that we can have our cake and eat it too. I'm going to read a couple quotes, guys, because these are just really helpful as we think about this idea. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus did not deny that money, this is really interesting. Jesus did not deny that money was a God, lowercase g. That God, that God even has a name, mammon. Jesus affirmed mammon as the sole serious competitor to the Trinity. Jesus understood the antithesis or contrast between God's way and mammon's way as the most fundamental distinction, distinction in all of life and history. He didn't divide the world into left versus right or liberal versus conservative or the envious versus entrepreneur or Christian versus Muslim. Jesus didn't make mammon just a side temptation for a few like we do. For Jesus, mammon wasn't one idol amongst many equals. He singled it out as the direct competitor to God. He never contrasted the idols of sexuality, of knowledge, or the earth in such stark opposition to God. Jesus never said you can't serve sexuality in God or knowledge in God, though these were idols too. Douglas Jones, and then one more from Peter Kreeft. Mammon is the inordinate, so what is mammon? Mammon is the inordinate desire to possess wealth, goods, or objects of abstract value with the intention to keep it for oneself. Far beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort, it is applied to a markedly high desire for wealth, status, and power. Greed is, similar, is similarly an inordinate desire to acquire and possess more than one needs. Money is ubiquitously tempting because of a kind, kind of umbrella principle, covering everything money can buy. It also, or rather promises to be, a security blanket against change. 
It apes divine self-sufficiency. Mammon is not a desire as such, or even a desire for temporal possessions as such, but the immoderate desire for them. For it is natural for man to desire external things as means, but mammons makes them into ends, into gods. And when a creature is made into a god, it becomes a devil. We cannot serve God and money. This comes back to the question in my mind of where am I placing my trust? This is an issue of trust. What are the structures I'm building my life upon? When things fall apart, I mentioned that before, when my bank account goes down, does my trust in God go down? Does my trust in a good future go down? Is it in the fact that my phone broke or my car broke down or I can't get that thing that I wanted? Or is it in the God we were talking about earlier, Yahweh? This is a callback to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And this goes back all the way to the beginning of the story where the lie of the enemy was planted into humanity that God himself cannot be trusted, that he can't take care of you, that he's holding out on you, that he doesn't actually really know what you need and that you have to go out on your own and get yours. And this pulls us out of a simple story. Good God, we're his children. He wants to take care of us into a much more complex one where the, the temptation to grasp and grab a hold of the life that is truly life is lived out in our everyday ordinary lives. But the good news is this, Jesus is inviting us back into a trusting relationship with his father. The father whose good pleasure it is to give us the kingdom, to give us like we were praying this week, every day, God give us our daily bread. He knows what we need before we even ask him. Getting back to this idea of living simply, trying to serve both God and money is complex and moreover it is just impossible. A life of simplicity is a life serving God alone. Let me tell you a story to try to land this this morning. I heard this story years ago and Justin and I were talking about it this morning. So I, I could be, it's not scriptural. I could be misremembering it, but I think it'll help kind of illustrate our, our thought this morning. So there's this lady who was, uh, this is how happened in England. And this lady uh, was, was fairly, she was middle class or poor. And she invited her minister to come over and have tea. He was a new minister. So she, he came over and had tea with her. And as they were visiting, he was just getting to know her story. And she was kind of expressing some of the needs she had that were like practical financial needs. And so he was listening to her story and just getting to know her. And he noticed this framed picture behind him. And as the conversation went on, he had, there was a moment where there was a pause in the conversation. He gets up and goes and looks at the framed picture. And in the framed picture is this will outlining that this woman had inherited this, this estate and all this money. And he's like, ma'am, did you, what, what, you're talking about all this, this struggle and, and pain that you have in your life that you are, you can't make ends meet. And he goes, this is a, a deed to like a, an estate. Like you would have servants and tons of money. She's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I, I, could, I couldn't read. I just thought it was beautiful. So I framed it and put it on the wall. And I think this illustrates kind of this idea that what, what we have in Jesus, we don't often realize that we, we're struggling and toiling to try to get this life that is already given to us in Jesus. And so we have this framed picture of life in the kingdom of God, but we're not actually apprehending and taking a hold of what God has given us in Christ. She, my friends, was richer than she thought. And this could be said of you and me in this room as well. We don't realize the riches we have inherited, it, we have inherited in Christ. And so we live from a place of scarcity and fear rather than trust and abundance. 
In the gospel, we realize that Jesus takes our place on the cross and what he does is he shares his place with us in heaven. The Bible speaks about us being, and we sang about this morning, interestingly enough, us being co-heirs with Christ. Did you hear that? We are co-heirs with Jesus, the eternal son, the prince of peace, the king of heaven and earth. We have a share in his inheritance. Back to these core needs. We belong to Christ. We are secure in Christ. We are free in Christ. We have meaning in Christ and we have purpose in Christ. Jesus' vision and life here on this earth was continually one where he was storing up treasures in heaven. One in which he was generous to the point of giving his very life away for us. And one where he completely and totally served God alone. So what if we're just like that old lady in that story? Framing the inheritance and putting it on our kitchen wall rather than living and receiving all that God has for us. When we realize what we have in Jesus, that we're richer than we think, we can begin to live serving God only, living generously, and living to store up treasures in heaven. We can begin to grab a hold of a life that is truly life. We can live a life of simplicity and not complexity. My prayer for us this morning is that God would make us a people who are laying up treasures in heaven, who slow down and live intentionally in such a way that we can see the people around us who are actually in need, where we're seeking to give generously and we are free from the clutches of mammon and whose allegiance is evermore to God and his kingdom. And this is one of the reasons why we want to begin to make space in our weekly gatherings for generosity. We talked about this at our annual meeting a couple of weeks ago. We believe that all of life is to be lived under Jesus' rule and reign and in his kingdom. That includes our money. And so one of the ways that we can do that, one of the ways we can break the hold that mammon can have on us as followers of Jesus is as we come together, together we can give financially to God and his kingdom into what he's up to. And each time we, we give, even to the point where it's difficult and we, we're, that's okay, if I give this, I don't have enough for that. We're going to trust that God knows what we actually need before we even ask him. That we are choosing to, to die to the idea that I can have my cake and eat it too. And at each time we give generously, whether it's to the church or to someone else in need around us, we're declaring, I trust God more than money. I live my life in his kingdom and not in this world. I want to live life in his kingdom right here and right now. And so we just have a prayer we're going to pray as we kind of wrap up this morning. And there's, uh, please do not feel any pressure. I'm not trying to strong arm you. I feel uncomfortable doing this, but I also feel like I love you guys enough to say this because this matters. That we don't want to be a people who are serving mammon and not God. We don't want to be people who, who have bad eyesight going to that idiom. And we want to be people who are laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And we want our hearts to be found in the kingdom of God, in the relationship we have with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and which that we have with one another. So this morning, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to have some time of sharing. We're going to end with communion at the end of our kind of wrap-up of, of stuff. But if you feel like you want to make some type of effort, God's challenging you, you want to kind of respond to this, you can, we have the tithe box like Scott was talking about, and we also have a way that you can give online, which is just uh, apallison.com slash giving, and you can go on there and figure out how you want to do that. But let's just pray this prayer regardless of where we're at this morning, because it kind of summarizes and gets at the heart of what we're talking about this morning, and then we'll transition into a time of reflecting on the week of prayer and fasting. Is that cool? Why don't you guys stand?
And we'll read this prayer together. If you feel like you want to pray it out. And I'll try to go at a moderate speed. Let's just take a few deep breaths. Let's begin. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Father, make us a generous people. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for the riches that we have inherited in Christ. Would you teach us how to lay hold of those things, God? Lord, teach us to see the need in our community. And Lord, teach us what it looks like in, in, in living a life that is storing up treasures in heaven and not here on this earth. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active. And we just give you the rest of our time together this morning. Amen.